What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Pat, how's our old mate Jace going? I hear he's doing fantastic. In fact, he just keeps selling so much dog gear to our loyal listeners at such remarkable prices. What's he got? He's got... Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Oh, he's got everything. Balls, yep. tugs, leashes. I don't think balls and tugs should be said in the same sentence. Well, we just did. Okay. Uh, mills. That's what Jason's pumping out like hot little the potatoes. The Firepaw Mills. Firepaw, HF, HF Mills. HF Mills, yeah. Yep, he's got them all. Yep. Um, and we've done sleds. that Mills episode yep. on Patreon, so yep. a lot of people are learning about how to use the mill. Yep, and getting them from Jason. Getting he them sells from Jason. sleds now. Sleds and yep. parachutes, I see. Parachutes. That you tested with Remy. Tested the parachute, yep. yep. I can confirm it inflates. I know he still doesn't have a website. I know he does not. <laughs> so if you'd like to buy something from Jason, could be a Herm Springer item. Yeah, uh, you could get that from Jason, but you have to do it through Facebook. And in order to do that, you have to head to Einswick Dog Quip, which is how do you spell that? E I N Z W E C K Einswick Einswick Dog Quip. Hey Glenn, yes, let's talk about Patreon for a second. Sure, we put out that we wanted info from people, yes, about what we could do, and yes. we got some pretty good feedback. We've got great feedback. So what we've decided to and do, great support at the moment. Yeah, huge support. Yeah, it's getting better all the time. Very, Thank you. very thankful to you guys. Mm. What we've decided to do is create a new type of content for Patreon, and that's going to be a live questions answered session. Yep. So we're going to put out the same episode like we promised for everybody at three bucks yep. in the first of the month, and then a week or so later, we'll have a poll about exactly when that will be. I will go live in Patreon and answer questions relating to that episode. So any questions that you have... Mm. Write them down, put them as comments into the under that video, and then I'll go live in Patreon and answer those questions for an hour or so. Yep. About a week later, so people can log in and watch and observe live on yeah. the Patreon platform. Yeah, I yeah. think they can then type out questions at, on the spot, and we'll, yeah, we'll figure they that can. out as we go. Yeah, uh, I'll do that in front of a whiteboard, and it's just the way to get their questions answered. Yep. And what do we say we're going to make that? $10 tier. $10 tier. So you yeah. guys that are paying 10 bucks Well, we have a to month. pay extra for it on yeah. through Patreon. It's it costs a, us money to yeah, do. Yeah, it's additional service. So if you want it, it's going to be there. It's going to be available for mm-hmm. you. Based on the feedback that we're getting and and people wanting access to a little more information, mm-hmm. we've, we think this is the best way to actually get to everybody in due course yeah. and be able to supply and demand. Yeah, so it's kind of like you guys are sort of crowdfunding a private Skype session kind of thing. That's it. Yeah, so the crew that are paying 10 bucks a month will get access to that. Uh, everybody else still gets access to what we, we said from the start. It's just now extra stuff. Yep. Hey, thanks for your support. As Thank well. you very everybody. much for your support. We're so overwhelmingly grateful. It's mm. really, really appreciated. Yeah, new episode comes out soon. Yep. What do we do it on? Complex skills. Complex skills. Cool. All right, let's start the show. Okay, bye. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And 
On the phone today from the United Kingdom, we have Nikki Butler. Welcome, Nikki. Thanks for joining us on the show. Hi, guys. It's an honor to be here. It's an honor for you to join us all the way from the UK. Yeah, thousands and thousands of miles away that we managed to make it happen. I know. It's a miracle of modern sciences, really, isn't it? <laughs> it's wonderful, can, wonderful, isn't it? Yeah, we can look at each other and speak to each other instantly all around the world. If only we had this when we were kids. Yeah, it would have been dangerous, I think. <laughs> yeah, especially in our era. Let's get into it. Nikki, you have made a couple of controversial videos that have <laughs> shot around the internet like wildfire. Yes, I have. I didn't intend them to be controversial. I'm just a fan of trying to get the truth out there. And that's all. And it seems to have taken off, as you said, like wildfire. So, um, yeah, not quite sure what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> so it, was a bit, it was a bit of a shock to me as well. And, and as you said, the backlash, it actually hasn't been too bad. It's the usual culprits that, you know, they just get over emotional and they're initial response is just to go straight to insults mm -hmm. and those aren't the people that I'm really targeting with my videos it's just you know regular dog owners like ourselves and dog trainers who we're all on the same page and it, it's just it's more saying that we're here to support you you know as mm. trainers we have to support each other there's, there's even a lot of backbiting between trainers so yeah I was kind of shocked at how viral it went yeah, it's certainly shot around the world. Hey, so can you just explain for our listeners and, and for myself really as well, like what is your background in dogs? How did you come to be where you're at today? I kind of fell into it more by accident than by design. I was in Kenya. I was working as a luxury camp manager and safari guide. Mm -hmm. And I had some serious illness and I couldn't stay in the bush anymore. So... I got a new job with a fellow in Nairobi, and he was doing some quite interesting investigation work. Um, he was a forensic investigator. And East Africa being what it is, a lot of Africa, sub-Saharan -sub Africa being what it is, it's not a very secure situation. Now, he had heard of a company that was providing personal protection dogs, the like of which nobody had said they'd seen before. Right. And he said to me, Nikki, let's go up and have a look. I'd really like to get one of these dogs. He was carrying a firearm and he said, but you know, dogs are just on a whole different level. Mm. So we went along. He decided he wanted to purchase one of these dogs. So we went for a second visit. And on that second visit, I also ended up coming back with <laughs> this rather wonderful personal protection dog, also another unplanned thing. Right. Was completely blown away by it. There was a sudden change of circumstances. He got gravely ill very, very quickly. He was Australian, like yourselves. Right. He had to go back to Australia very sadly and had very large surgery, very serious surgery. And the company that we had got the dogs from said, hey, Nikki, you're available. You like working outdoors. You love animals. Would you like to come? We will train you fully. Would you like to come train and handle personal protection dogs? So naturally, I was like, uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, nice. Um, so that's basically where it started. That was about a decade ago. Right. Yeah. So I went up to, within a month, I was up at their facility back in the bush out of Nairobi. So I was particularly happy managing a kennel of, I think it was about 114 dogs. And we bred, raised and trained those dogs. 
And then when we handed them over to clients, again, you do the client package. So the client gets a fully trained dog. And mm -hmm. then obviously you have to train the client because that kind of a dog can yep. be a liability. What breed of um, dogs so were they, Nikki? Primarily uh, Malinois, mm -hmm. but we had Dutch Shepherds and a few German Shepherds. My favorites were the Dutch Shepherds. That's what I had as my own personal protection dog. I'm, I'm a Dutchie girl through and through. Um, uh -huh. Wonderful, wonderful dogs, really stable temperaments. So that's that's how it all started. Were they importing a lot of dogs then or just breeding in-house? From what I can understand from what my boss told me, he was a former U.S. Marine. Right. And he had scoured the world. He had traveled extensively to find, I mean, the perfect dog doesn't exist. <laughs> but the, you know what I mean? He, he was looking for a dog that had, that was a good all-rounder. Mm -hmm. But the most important quality, and you'll hear me say it a lot, was stability. Yep. Um, and, and Malinois, you know, they don't generally have a reputation as being a particularly stable dog. They're kind of, you know, mm. they're like Red Bull and Acid and Speed combined mm. with four legs. But they managed to partner up with, initially, with a company in Canada that I'm sure you've heard of, Baden K9, mm. Mike McConnell's outfit. Yep. Yep. So... That's where it started. Now, my understanding is that they had imported dogs from Baden into Kenya. Right. And from that initial stock, as it were, they started breeding. Right. So then eventually we, I believe, we separated from Baden. I wasn't really involved in, in that side of things because it was more the management side. Sure. But that, that's how it was, it was founded. So my mentor was mentored by by Mike McConnery. He went to Baden and, and did the training with them. So right, that's, okay. that's the, the basis of my training. Right. Okay. It's funny you say that that stability being the, the most important trait, I, I agree a hundred percent. And I think the biggest issue with dogs of that breed and type is there's a couple of ways to, I mean, we all know that you need a really high amount of drive. You need an extreme amount of drive to fulfill those working roles. And there's a couple of ways you can breed in that drive, right? Like you can have drive that truly comes from within and say the the want to possess and that kind of thing and real true prey drive but then you can also put in a fair amount of drive through nerve you can just put just breed in a little bit of nerve and then you've got a lot of drive expression but and you lose the stability of the dog which i think is common in a lot of malinois this is where people will say that oh yeah like we're when you're just breeding for extreme high drive and you forget about the temperament you just you end mm -hmm. up with these nervy dogs which as you say for that protection role is a is a disaster it is. And it's really interesting that you bring this up because it's, it's a conversation that I was having recently with someone else about the language surrounding dog training and how it's, if you like, over jargonized. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a made up word completely. But when I started working with these guys, nobody talked about drives and grips and all of these things that I found out subsequently, since I, particularly since I came to the UK, and I was like, I really need to gen up on this stuff because it was basically get in there, do this, the dog does this. If the dog does that, do this instead. It, mm -hmm. was, it was almost kindergarten. It was so simple. It was never overcomplicated. So I'm, I'm learning a lot about the terminology 
that goes with all of this. It's just like, yeah, this dog is is showing this, so this is how we this is how we direct that. This is how we focus that. But the words themselves, the actual terminology that you're talking about, it wasn't even used. So when I came out, I felt like I just was a complete numbskull. I thought <laughs> I don't know anything, you know. And then. You know, a few friends who work in protection here in the UK, they were just like, yeah, you haven't heard these expressions, but you still know what you're doing with the dog. Yeah, it's just language, um, right? Yeah, and that's the interesting thing, learning about the drives. And it was more instinctual, you know, okay, you're watching the dog, the dog's doing this. This is how you respond. Now, I look at it and I go, okay, that dog's in defense, in prey, in play, you know, all the different Mm-hmm. different expressions that we have. So, yeah, it starts to make sense. But it's it's very interesting that you bring that up. I think a lot more of the terminology became an important language around sport training, even though there was a degree of language and necessity of language in protection or law enforcement style of training. It became more prevalent in all the sport training dogs because, I don't know, sometimes I think they like to overcomplicate the language in training dogs. I think maybe a little bit more than just overcomplicating the language is that if you're raising training dogs purely for working roles and it's not a sport, it's real life, you're training – this is a very interesting way to talk about but training can be a little bit simpler, as you say, because you're only going to work with a dog that is 100% suitable because someone's life is going to be on the line. Mm. And so Mm -hmm. it it is – Not to say an easier process, I certainly don't mean that by any stretch of the imagination, but a simpler process because the dog is going to be suitable or is not and that no one's emotionally Mm -hmm. attached to the idea of whether the dog is suitable or not until it's sold, then someone is emotionally attached to it. But in I I totally agree. Yeah. (laughs) So then in the sporting world, I just want to play a game with the dog I already have. So the training has to be more complicated because I'm I'm willing to do things and go to lengths on a sport dog that I wouldn't with a working dog because if he like so I'm I'm by do things I mean, you know, explore training and use say play based when it's a defensive activity or I might even use food to address grips in a dog that doesn't particularly like to grip. I could teach a grip through, like have the grip as the work rather than the reinforcer. Mm. Because if it all goes wrong and the dog doesn't engage one day, well, who cares? You just don't get those points. It's not the end of the world. And you can express to people, hey, this is the facts. This is, your dog is not a man stopper, but we can make him look like that. And and provided Mm -hmm. the conditions are correct on the field, he will appear that way. But you should know, like, don't be going down dark alleys with this dog. Yeah. And so the, the training is therefore more complicated. And again, I don't say one is easier than the other, but certainly you need to have a lot more skills in your tool bag as a sport trainer, I think, because you, you're going to have to work with dogs that aren't suitable for the sport and try and uh, try and make them suitable. Or not suitable for the sport, suitable for the role and try and make them suitable for the sport, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, it does make sense. And because... I mean, I don't know how much you know about Baden, but basically, if you use the word sport in the same sentence as protection, it's a dirty word. And that's what I was taught. So I know, and that's not my personal feeling. I'm fascinated. Mm, I was going to say that that's good to sport. hear. That's not your personal I, I, feeling. <laughs> it's quite extreme, isn't it? And But I don't, I don't agree with that. I, yeah, I think they are two disciplines. That's my personal opinion. And I, I, I do agree with everything you, you just said. And I have a lot of respect for the guys who do do sports because I do not, I literally, I, maybe I'm laying myself open for criticism here, but I don't understand it because I have literally no knowledge of 
the application in sports mm. only in a working environment so i watch it and i'm just like this guy's talking about this and i'm i'm learning all the time i don't i'm not particularly interested in getting into sports but i am interested in watching it and what watching what people do with these dogs i have mm. tremendous respect for it but as you said i think it's it's quite a different thing and yes i do believe that the protection the work element certainly for me well to summarize it simple. to summarize it i guess i mean they're both serious one serious to the competitor especially if they're planning on going places or being represented as a trainer handler in that application but i guess to summarize the two of them is a dog that's defending in law enforcement or protection, it actually has a duty to save somebody's life. Whereas a sport mm -hmm. dog, if the dog doesn't win a competition, nobody dies as a result of it or nobody gets harmed or injured. So it's the same with, I, I refer to this a lot in, in times with detection dogs. Like if you've got a dog that's doing, let's say nose works and the dog doesn't find the odor, nothing explodes. Like it doesn't take out mm -hmm. a ship or an airport or crowded room full of people but if you've got a detection dog that's an edd dog for example explosive detection dog that's supposed to do that and doesn't find the bomb well there's a very real risk of human life being eliminated because of it mm -hmm. absolutely I think, I think that sport and working dogs if they're a little bit like a zen diagram in that they overlap massively mm, and yes i agree there's portions that are relevant to one and not the other but there's probably you know, depending on the sport, there's 80% of dogs that that are in that overlapping portion that can do either. And it's just that they've gone to either a, a police force or they've gone to an individual person and the dog will be happy in either role. And then there's the outliers. There's mm -hmm. the dogs that are just totally incapable of, well, not incapable, but are best suited to just pure work. And then there's dogs that are not capable of the work and only suited to sport and they're the, the outside mm -hmm. parts. But I think largely it overlaps. It, it's... Certainly, geez, we're going a different direction than I thought we would, but, um, <laughs> but interesting nonetheless. I'm always a little bit dubious on people who raise police and military style dogs or protection dogs and don't want to look at the sports. It, when I was in the army, I was uh, as outwardly focused on the sports as possible. And, you know, we look at it, say, take Bart Bellin, for example, who he did his national service, but was mm -hmm. a paratrooper doing that, had nothing to do with dogs when he was in the army. Uh, and mm -hmm. is now employed by militaries all around the world to teach them about dogs and the highest caliber possible militaries. Like it's, it's typically the special forces units that are, mm -hmm. uh, uh, employing Bart to teach them the tricks that he learned at, through a career as a NVBK competitor. Um, so definitely mm -hmm. they overlap. There's parts for, for each and dog training is dog training. It's just, you've got to then understand your end goal and apply layer your tactics over the top of that once the specific mm -hmm. behaviors are trained. Well, I think the best of the sports should encompass the, the mindset of once the dog has finished the sport, it could possibly go into a law enforcement career. Yeah, potentially. It just depends on how you want to do it. So PSA is an example, a good mm. example where you'd say that have you ever seen PSA, Nikki? Have you ever familiar with that as a sport? I've seen videos because obviously my circumstances changed. I came to the UK and everything's changed for me. So I'm not deeply involved as a working handler anymore. But yeah, I, I do watch the PSA videos. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about that. Let me just finish what I was saying while me and Glenn rudely just talk about sport. And <laughs> I want to come back and talk to you. But PSA is an interesting one. Even Jerry Bradshaw, who you know is the executive director of PSA, would tell you that a level three dog is perhaps not ideal, like which is the highest level of competition in PSA. I think there's only 21 dogs that have actually succeeded through that. 
21 dogs in 20 odd years that have managed to actually get through it is the level of control is probably higher than you would want in a working dog in that the dogs don't bite without permission. And therefore, if you were to be ambushed in a way, the dog is not allowed to think on his, not, not allowed to think that he certainly must think he, he's not allowed to. It make, doesn't react on impending threats like yeah, it normally would with yeah, a duty dog. Yeah. And exactly. Mm-hmm. So like in the level two, you do want that. But then by the time you go to level three, the dog only bites with permission. So it might be a level of control. So inwardly focused that it perhaps would not make a great street dog. Mm. That's not to say it can't. Anyway, mm-hmm. so that's my, that's us sort of waffling for a little while. So tell us about how did you come to leave Africa, come to the UK and or back to the UK and what yeah. are you doing there now specifically and with who? Okay, so things have a way of changing rather rapidly in Africa, um, as I'm sure you're aware. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's quite, quite a volatile environment. And the company that I was working for very sadly had to pack up and go back to the States. They were American. They're still they're still running their business. They're still selling the most wonderful protection dogs. And obviously then I thought, okay, what's my next move? Because I don't have the financial backing to set up my own facility. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, the, the prices that these dogs go for, is there a market for it in somewhere like East Africa? Yeah, but it's tiny. Mm. So... I kind of fell into just companion dog training because friends were saying, oh, your dog's so well behaved. Can you train mine? And the situation in Kenya is very, very different to first world countries. You know, you've got a lot of people living on compounds with guards and, you know, razor wire fences. And they have dogs on the compound, but they're not really family dogs. Mm -hmm. So what will happen is that people will buy a dog or they'll buy three or four dogs that look really, as we say, Carly, mean, fierce, Mm -hmm. to have as protection. But as you know as well as I do, that, you know, you get a dog and you just go, here, protect this gate. Yeah, yeah. The dog's just going to go, well, this is my territory now. So what was starting to happen was that people's families are coming home and the dogs are attacking the families instead (laughs) because they're just like, well, you know, you're coming onto our property. There's no bond. So I started just training one-on-one. I formed my own company and then I was just working with people to say, okay, we're not going to do protection training. It will be highly irresponsible. I don't know the line, the lineage of these dogs, but I will change the relationship that you have with your dog Mm -hmm. so that the dog yes it's a deterrent you know dogs are a deterrent in africa it it doesn't have to bark to be a deterrent it just has to stare at someone and Mm -hmm. it's quite an effective deterrent but i say you know you have to change the relationship so that's then what i fell into is just general obedience what i call the easy stuff but it's also the fun stuff because mm. you're working with people, you're watching people build the bond with their dog and see what the dog's actually capable of. Because, you know, when you're just treating it like it's a, it's a thing instead of a part of the family, yep. I'm not talking about fur baby mentality. <laughs> I'm talking about, you know, include that dog in what you do. Take it in your car. And it sort of, again, it was almost accidental. It grew from there. And then... I said, as things tend to happen in Africa, it's because everything is imported in Kenya. It's quite an expensive country to live in as an expat. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just found that my income, my income was kind of 
you know, rising to meet my outgoings. And I thought, I'm just getting to the point where I can't break even. Right. And I had to come to the UK, you know, within having made the decision within six months, I was in the UK. And then I just continued training companion dogs here. But I'll be honest with you, my my true love is is being a working handler is doing what I, I first did with dogs, if I could get back into that. If Baden rang me tomorrow and offered me a job, hey, Mike, I'd be there like a shot. Right. I love what I do. But, you know, you know what it's like, the, the bond that you get with a working dog. There's nothing quite like it. Yeah, for sure. I don't think you have any struggle with both of us agreeing that the working side of it is definitely the more interesting side. That's where I started primarily in my apprenticeship of training dogs was working with working dogs. And like most countries around the world these days, laws start changing, litigation companies start making trouble for people and insurance companies, the whole lot between the government, the litigation companies and the insurance companies, they're all sticking their beak into the pie and uh, Mm. creating difficulties and extenuating circumstances for people to get involved in that type of thing. But uh, back when it was a lot looser than what it is now, it was great fun. I think the most fun that I ever had and the most camaraderie that I ever had was when I first started training dogs and that group of people that I was with at the time. I think it was the best of times that I've ever had in training dogs. And I wish it was still that way, but unfortunately it's not, you know, because... I mean, and and this is obviously why you've sat down to have a think about putting that video together because things are changing, Mm -hmm. Um, mentalities are changing and it's a funny world that we're actually in now. Like Mm. it's it's definitely strange times, especially people in our age bracket have started to encompass. Like we've gone from seeing people being a lot more civilized to each other and a lot more agreeable to each other and... Some people might argue at this point. I mean, they, they often do. It's the, it's the point of, of uh, many arguments in many different fields. But I don't feel it's as friendly a world now as compared to what it was when I was a younger guy. No, I couldn't agree with you more. There's a lot of shaming, shaming mm. and blaming. And I think it doesn't accomplish anything. I think what you need to be doing is if you don't agree with something, you don't automatically go to blame and shame and insult. You go, okay, so how can we solve this? And you try and get the truth out there. Look, this is the way it, it worked before. Modern, you hear the word modern. I'm a modern dog trainer. I don't well, think that's anything to be proud of, and to be, to be honest. But this is the thing. It's like, oh. but what does that actually mean? Modern doesn't necessarily equate to better. It really doesn't. And I, I think we've... <laughs> I don't know if social media has a lot to do with this. I think mainstream media certainly does. People are being turned against one another. And it's not just, I'm not just talking about dog training. I'm talking about in general. Mm. You know, you don't know what, what you see online. Is it true? Is it fact? Is it hyperbole? Is it something to stir you up? And it crosses, it crosses divides. It's, it covers everything. And of course, dog, dog training is not, it's not going to be excluded from that. And it's sad because for me, the concern is the dog at the end of the day is the one that suffers as a result of what we're doing. Mm. So tell me about the, like the culture shock of having been, you're training in Africa under a certain set of mentors and then you've come, you, you went to the UK and started your own business there. And I presume there's a, you know, I guess a, a network of dog trainers that you are with at the moment or that you speak to and what was it like trying to fit into mm-hmm. that community 
I don't know a lot of trainers in the UK. The, like, and I, the only ones I do know are exceptional. I know there's a couple of people who I uh, am aware of there and probably uh, probably still listen to the show, but uh, were trained by the same people as me and I, I believe are excellent dog trainers. So I know that that exists for sure. What, what was it like falling into that community and, and finding your feet there? Um, it, it wasn't as, as much of a culture shock going this way as it was to, it would be going to somewhere like Africa mm-hmm. because you're a lot more cushioned here. People are in, in some ways a lot more open. Yeah. The British are notoriously insular and conservative, mm-hmm. but they can be quite inclusive once you get talking to people. So I didn't really know anyone in the UK dog training community. I was trying to find my feet because, as I said, I felt that there were huge gaps in my knowledge because the way I had been trained and the way I had been operating was so, I can't find the right word. It's not constricted, but it's it was such a, it's not meant to be insulting, narrow yeah, no, I know exactly. Um, yeah. Set of guidelines. Do you know what I mean? The yeah. parameters were very, very defined in which we operated. So to come here, I did feel that I, I thought, am I, am I, should I be doing this? Am I selling myself short? And then I ended up talking to one particular dog trainer who's based up in in the north in Skelmersdale. Uh, absolutely fantastic fellow. And I said, look, you know, there's so much I don't know. And he said, well, why would you? It doesn't make you any less of a dog trainer. And we had several long chats. And he said, trust me, you do know what you're doing. Then I ended up going to a dog training seminar with a couple of guys came over from the US, Sean O'Shea and Jeff Gellman, and went along to that. Through that, I met a lot of other trainers. And that's when my network of like-minded trainers started to form. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's one particular lady that I do pack walks with. And, you know, it's nice because now I have people I can bounce ideas off. And my Facebook friends list, it's primarily UK dog trainers. Yeah, cool. um, Because there certainly aren't any back in Kenya, really, who were doing, who are doing what I used to do. There, mm-hmm. there just aren't, sadly. There's two and they are purely positive and they are rabidly, purely positive, you know, throw the insults out there, shut your business down kind of. Right. So, so that yeah, makes sense because I remember in that video you said that you, you you actually referenced a couple of dog trainers in Kenya. So you were talking about specific mm-hmm. people because because not knowing that you were from Africa or were, had been in Africa beforehand, I was like, mm-hmm. what's well, such a random thing? Why is she getting attacked by two <laughs> dog trainers in Kenya? It's terrible because I, I always assume that people know that I had come from there. But it, yeah, there was a story that one particular individual backed up by another had actually tried. Initially, when I was working at the working kennel, she had tried to have it shut down. She called the KSPCA. That's the Kenyan equivalent of mm-hmm. the RSPCA, obviously. She called them and she said, you have to pay a visit to this kennel. They're brutal. They're brutalizing and abusing their dogs. They don't feed them. They're malnourished. And we all know what malnourished means. You know, it means that the dog is working fit. So we had the KSPCA called on us and they came and we said, would you like to have a demonstration? Would you like to see what we feed the dogs? And they went away and they said, yeah, we suspected as much. There's no problem here. Mm -hmm. 
when I then went out on my own, she proceeded to slander me all over town. I would get inquiries from clients and then I'd hear nothing and then they would be learning under her and then I would subsequently get a phone call a few months later. Our dog's still jumping up on the maid. Our dog's still trying to bite our child and so and so hasn't fixed it. I don't name names. It's mm-hmm. I sure. don't like to do that. But yeah, that's exactly what happened. They tried to shut down the main business and then they tried to shut me down. It's a terrible thing, I think. I often refer, and I have said this in several shows that we've done online, I think that some of the more insane people of the old years, they used to walk around with sandwich boards and bells trying to get people's attentions. And, you know, and you'd often get the old town nag that would be peeping out the window, watching the neighbours to spy on everything they did so they could gossip on when they left and came from work. Now they've got access to the internet. So they're not happy with peeping out the window or walking around with a an A-frame anymore. They've actually got a movement of like-minded people. So there's enough of them in the neighborhood to start creating a movement. And to use a word that Pat's fond of, they develop this vitriol against people. Mm-hmm. It's actually had a compounding effect. They're becoming more and more organized in their mm-hmm. their thinking and more dedicated to their style of thinking. And people get behind it. You throw enough mud, it starts to stick. Mm-hmm. They're really starting to think that that we are, missed, you know, like anybody in a balanced Lima, positive first, any one of you, want, what you want to call it, they all think that we're brutalizing dogs. And mm-hmm. if you could actually sit down, and when you do sit down with some of the more rational people, we can all agree that we're doing what we're doing for the love of dogs, the preservation mm-hmm. for the dogs, and we all love our dogs. You know, none of us got into this business to watch dogs suffer, to hurt dogs. We got in this business to educate dogs and to stop dogs from being destroyed, to stop dogs from getting into situations where they were just thrown out of the family home because nobody wanted to understand them. And it's a, Mm. I don't understand how they become so switched off and so negative and so angry that they can't see that when I know that a lot more of the, the community that we're belonging to we are all singing and marching to the same tune. We're all understanding. I mean, when you start talking about it, you can see people in the in the groups and the audiences online. They're all nodding their heads in agreement, saying, "Yeah, that's right. That's why we got into training dogs. We absolutely love dogs. They're part of a a passionate landscape of something that we're very, very heavily involved in. It's become a lifestyle." Mm-hmm. I think it's when you bring the human condition into it, into anything. We bring our own baggage and our own insecurities. And then it no longer becomes, it's no longer what's best for the dog. It's your ego. And it's not just people who on the purely positive and force free front that do this. There are people in the balance community that do it. Oh, they can be you, just as you, mad. Exactly. You get extremists are extremists, right? Yes. Fundamentalists who who just are completely closed minded. And again, it's the dog that suffers because Mm. what we owe to the dog is to bring the biggest toolbox possible and say, okay, what's going to work for you? It's the you know, when we would we were working personal protection dogs we didn't turn them all into personal protection dogs. They were all from great lines. But if, if it's not working, you wash the dog out mm. and you find some, you find the dog's strength, not what makes you look good on the field. Yeah. What works for this dog? Mm. This dog excels at this. Let's wash him out as a PPD. Let's do scent detection. Let's do something else with this dog. And yeah, you, you get so 
focused on something that you lose sight. You know, you <laughs> you can't see the wood for the trees. Yeah. And it and it happens to any of us. It's it's not just you know you can't just say, oh, purely positive this and force free this. Anyone can be guilty of it. So towards the end of your video that I just watched, you you talked about this hoax, this money making scheme, which I thought was interesting. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? That you you sort of hint on the idea that the people who are actually out there causing, or who are going to attack you online for your video, I kind mm-hmm. of got the feeling that you were saying that they are really the the foot soldiers of a bigger entity, and that entity's purpose is not for dogs, but rather to make money for itself. Am I on the right track with what you're saying? Kind of. I think it may have been somewhat lost in translation. It wasn't meant to be a dig at anyone in particular. I think what happened is people start out with the best of intentions. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at these organizations, these welfare organizations, you know, some of which were started, you know, a hundred years or so ago. And when you look at what they were doing back then, it was fantastic. But when you find, and again, I think the human condition comes into play a lot here. When you find that you can make money out of something whilst appearing to do the right thing, even if it's not intentional, you don't, there's no malice aforethought. It's just, oh yeah, we can do this and and we get lots of money at this at the same time and people buy into it. It's a hoax and it's a con because it's not in the best interests of the dog. But again, people have lost sight of what is right, the right thing to do Mm. because the human condition has taken over. And I don't think it was, it's in, it's insidious when you watch how it's happened over a period of, I don't know, the last couple of decades, probably, mm-hmm. if I'm thinking about it. It's insidious. It's I don't think it was a planned thing. But when something starts to work, you'll do more of that thing if it yeah. brings you benefit. It doesn't benefit the dog anymore. It benefits you. It benefits you all shareholders. And then it's no longer about welfare. And I think that's what happened. But because of that, people are buying into it and it's, it's become a monster. And, you know, and I don't want to name names here, but, you know, we have certain organizations in the UK, as I'm sure you do in Australia, that purport to be for a certain purpose for the animal's welfare. They once were, but I don't believe they are anymore. Yeah, we certainly have that um, here. We're in the midst of a of a huge controversy at the moment in Australia with our live animal exports for for meat, where we just had you know a horrific video of animals being treated really poorly on a ship being exported, and that was you know a big expose all over the news programs and was brought to light by an animal rights organisation, and anybody watching it would immediately. Be sickened. Yeah, and, and should be, right? Mm. But then we find out that they paid someone to orchestrate that to happen on the boat in order to get the footage. So that's not what actually happens day to day. A guy was paid, I think it was like $38,000 or something to to mistreat these animals in order to film it, in order so that they could have an expose on the mistreatment of the animals. So it certainly got the hysteria that they wanted. But now it's exposed that they orchestrated that. They orchestrated that mm. cruelty in order to it, – it's a case of I think some people think maybe the ends will justify the means. It's a new level of low, really. It's unbelievable. And, yeah. and, and we've – you know, there's a spate at the moment of uh, animals being stolen from farms. We just had a, a website published of every farm in Australia so that 
animal rights activists can go out and steal those animals. And there's videos of, you know, people who I'm sure that are well-meaning, but they're just fucking stupid and don't know what they're doing, stealing <laughs> animals from properties mm. and putting those animals, like animals that are going to live this great life, as, as great a life as a farmer can give them mm. and mm -hmm. to fulfill their ultimate purpose. And yes, in some cases, the ultimate purpose is to be consumed by us. Uh, mm -hmm. But along that path, they're going to lead a biologically fulfilling life. And being pulled off of, for a little lamb to be pulled off of, off of a, a pulled out of its pen when it's still at a suckling age, and to be thrown in the boot of a car and whisked away—what? That's going to be the worst experience that that animal certainly has had in its life and will have in its life. Because ultimately, it's still going to end up being put down. These people don't know. Only now it's going to become stressed and distressed about yeah. being taken from its location. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and it's going to be... going to take you out of harm's way to put you in more harm's way. Yeah, and ultimately mm -hmm. be probably euthanized and cremated mm. rather than lead a biologically fulfilling life and then eventually be consumed, as is the circle of life. Now, and I understand people, some people you know, are vegetarians or whatever and choose not to engage. And then mm -hmm. that's cool. That's fine. But that's, you, you can't impose your will onto other people and, no, you and, can't. and stealing those animals. So yeah, that really has ground my shit lately, especially that, that we just had this big expose on this live cattle trade and to, and to find out that they orchestrated the cruelty in order oh. to get footage of the cruelty for the expose. It just means the whole thing is, is fake. Therein lies the whole yeah. gambit of extremism. Yeah. Mm. And that's the thing. You damage you damage your cause in the end by not having any integrity. Yeah. Because you, you've, 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 you allowed emotion to trump logic. Yeah. You haven't you haven't stepped over the line, you've doing. strided over it. That's an interesting mm. thing you just say there. Allowed emotion to to say it again, what was that? You allow emotion to trump logic. To trump logic, mm. yeah. I'm gonna mm. steal that. I'm gonna start using that. <laughs> <laughs> but it but that's as, as isn't, it doesn't apply just to one side. It, it is part of the human condition that these days, you know, we're so inundated with buy this and you'll feel better, eat this and you'll get thin. And all of it, we're bombarded with so much that just appeals to our basest emotions that we've lost the ability to step back and think logically and go, well, hold on a minute. That doesn't make sense. Hmm. Why is that happening? And I think when we start to regain that ability, and we will, we're humans, we adapt really well, that's when things start to improve. But we're going through a, a bit of a, a bit of a slump at the moment as the human race, I think. Yeah. It suddenly got really deep, didn't it? <laughs> it happens. <laughs> well, I think it's a viewpoint that a lot of people are sharing at the moment. There's a lot of online talk shows, especially ones that Pat and I have been watching, that have this same sort of they're asking these same questions. They're asking, when did it happen and how did it happen and why is it happening? Like, what's the motive behind these movements? It's fascinating and it's also alarming that it is happening. Like, I think George Carlin, who was a stand-up political comedian in the States, he always used to say that, you know, he lived in the greatest country of the world, but he was also, um, he had front seat at the circus watching all the clowns go by. And it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of the way that I look at it too. I just look at it and shake my head in disbelief. But the problem is, is the movement that these people generate. They're a small group of people, but they're constantly getting headlines. And I mean, especially when organizations and media are swinging in favor of their bias, you know, they're having that, that left-minded bias. I'm like many other people. I don't want to belong to the left or the right. I just, 
I, I want to find some middle ground where we can all find points that we can agree on, get over mm-hmm. all the political shit and then get on with doing the best by our industry practices and develop best industry practices together. Mm-hmm. Find that middle ground, something, like I said, something we all agree on that we can stand there and mm-hmm. go, yeah, we do agree that we want the best for the dogs. Yeah, we do agree that we want to keep dogs in homes. Yeah, we do agree that we want to see less euthanasia happening. How can we make this collectively happen together? And herein lies the, mm-hmm. the the argument that balance is definitely better. You know, I mean, the whole spectrum of humanity unbalancing nature is true. Everything in life finds mm-hmm. balance. Everything finds equilibrium. The, it's been proven as a model until humans interact with it, until human know-how steps in and says, well, I know how to do this better. Well, Mother Nature then tries to counteract that again. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my frustration. I think I share it with a lot of other people. And, and that's no, why I, when I, I watched your video, it resonated. And I was very pleased at how brave you were to put that video out there because there's a lot of people who think those thoughts but then become too intimidated to put them out there because of the scrutiny it's going to be subjected to. So when I, when I saw it, I thought that's actually a really – it's a cool video because it wasn't angry. It wasn't based on emotion. You weren't – well, probably a little bit because of a bit of disappointment with the way some of the people behaved to you in the past. But you made a lot of points that many, many people in our industry are thinking and I appreciate it. I appreciate the compliment. Thank you very much. And I did try and put the video together from my heart. When we train dogs, we try to train without emotion. You know, you don't punish from an emotional place. If you have to correct or punish a dog, you do it methodically. Again, we're bringing emotion into it. But I think there is too much emotion in everything these days. You have to be able to step back and think critically and logically and laterally and take the emotion out of things because that way then you can process and you can move forward. My, my hashtag I always put at the end of my post is train your dog and mind your own business. Because that's <laughs> the quickest way to it's the quickest way to a peaceful life. Mm. Who cares what that guy over there is doing with his dog? If he's not beating it, kicking it and pouring boiling water on it, do your thing. Mm. If you phone me and ask me to help you teach your dog to sit, I'm happy to do it. But until that point it's none of my business. Mm. But, you know, as I said, the thing that does concern me is that emotion and drama sells. And when you look at, like I said, these big organizations that are publishing backstories that we have, you know, how much basis in truth does the, the backstory about this dog actually have that you're trying to sell to somebody? Yeah. And then it goes into a home. And it rips that home up because the backstory was, you know, it pulled on your heartstrings and you're like, oh, poor little soul. It's not, it's descended from wolves for Christ's sake. It's not a poor little soul. <laughs> Get rid of the story. Take the emotion out of it and go, right, we're going to bring you to where you need to be. Be a dog. Because like Mike McConaughey says, that's where it shines. And that's what we owe them. And until we can start to do that and, and, teach people, hey, it's okay to do this. Don't feel guilty about being strong and taking the emotion out of things. doesn't mean that you love your dog any less. And, and I didn't think I was being brave about putting the video out. It just was something that I'd, it had taken about a month to put together because there were so many thoughts that I had to get in order. Mm. 
And I also didn't want it to sound like an accusation, even though maybe it does in a way. It was just, I need to draw your attention to this. This is the way that things are going, and it's not good. Mm. And everyone's going to suffer because ultimately our dogs will be taken away from us. Yeah, well, that that's kind of the direction that it's all. That's the the real. That's threat. the climax, isn't it? That's mm. where it's all sort of headed towards: is no longer keeping mm. dogs as pets, uh, or in mm. working roles, or or anything really. At all, I don't. Yeah, there was even um, on um, one of the morning TV programs recently. I didn't watch it, but there was uproar about it because there was a, a lady saying that um, uh, I think it was guide dogs for the blind, service dogs, anyway, yeah. are wrong. Because yeah. of slavery. Yeah. You don't have the dog's consent and, to put it I to thought, work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ask, would you like to sit? Oh, no, it's okay. Yeah, so that mentality. Yeah. And it's that's a big concern. Yeah, it's, it's madness. Hey, so I saw your video shared many times in balanced dog training groups with a supporting message. I'm sure that it was shared plenty of places. I engage with the force-free positive-only community quite a lot. We've discussed here that Glenn has coined the term positive first that we're using as a new way to describe ourselves. And, you know, I use, I would say, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe to guess and put a number to it, maybe like 80% positive reinforcement. Like I, I, I use a lot of positive reinforcement. Therefore, I engage with people who use it exclusively because I feel like I should be able to learn from them. I think that if you, mm-hmm. there's four quadrants of operant conditioning and if you've decided I'm only going to play in one of them and you manage to be successful as a dog trainer, you therefore should be exceptional at that at that thing. And so I engage with many people. Unfortunately, I'm regularly let down, although some people are fantastic at it. But so I am in a lot of groups and circles of, positive, of the force-free community and I saw your video shared there as well, right? And it was less supportive. <laughs> what I'm what I'm curious about is who has reached out to you personally? Has anybody, aside from comments on the video, and it's a public video, therefore anybody can comment and say anything they want, but who has reached, and I don't mean to, to name names, but has anyone from the force-free, positive-only community contacted you via private message or anything and asked specific questions or... I've had no questions, but I have had insults and threats, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which is, you know, you do expect that. And you get thick skin, don't you? I think, you know, you deal with that kind of thing long enough. You just go, uh, water off a duck's back. Mm. I did have to switch the reviews function off on my page because there was one particular guy that just really went to town on me. And this woman is not right in the head. She trains attack dogs. Why would you want this woman training your dog? Mm-hmm. So I, I switched the reviews off. And then he took it to instant message, not instant message, he took it to messenger and really went to town on me. And, you know, there was lots of swear words and, and you know, quite a few on my side and I was just like you're just not right in the head sorry Mm. um isn't it amazing thing Nikki that and I often say this to most people isn't amazing thing that people who preach all this love and understanding can be some of the most violently spoken people in Mm -hmm. the world it's an incredible anomaly when you see that when people talk about kindness and understanding and love and and better training yet they can be the most aggravated and violent speaking people on earth Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't... They project... They wear a mask, don't they? They, they project one thing. Yeah. But what's that, actually going on underneath is a very... I feel... I actually it's feel It's an interesting observation. Mm. 
because I think you must either not like yourself very much or you must be full of bitterness and resentment. You know, one of the individuals that I was talking about back in Kenya, she was called in on an accusation of racism because she had gone into the household of a particular race, not a local Kenyan, but not a white person. And she said, oh, you so-and-so's, you know, name of race, Mm. you people always do this and you this and you that. And she basically just went off the wall. Um, They had been advised, you know, put a prong collar on this dog, you'd be able to walk it. It was a massive, it was a huge dog, it was a mastiff, and it was out of control. She she was called in to, to, to help fix the issue. It was jumping and mouthing and, you know, not aggressive, but just out of control. And she went in as a purely positive trainer, all sweetness and light and kindness, bent down, the dog floored her, and she just went off at these people. It was all their fault. And I thought, you're preaching kindness and a compassionate approach. So a normal person would have laughed that off and said, oops, handler error, you know, I fell over on my backside and we all had a laugh. Won't do that again. But instead, she turned it completely around on them and made really, really nasty racial remarks and she then got reported for it so i'm just Mm. like underneath what's going on that there's that much there's that much hatred there's that much bitterness why not just go in and help the dog and help the people yeah unfortunately does exist on both sides though like it's not like we we said earlier in the on the show is that it's not just an example of them because i have seen people who do say they follow the the balance community who are uh, equally as unstable in some of the comments and the mm-hmm. actions that they portray as well. And I mean, and this is the thing is there are people in all camps who do and say the wrong thing. And that's why I think it's very important that we all try and migrate towards some middle ground of understanding. To yep. I, I can't see it happening. I'd love to. I think that's perfect world theory. I can't see it happening because there's always, there always tends to be multiple opinions on the same subject. And for some reason, even though practically they agree with each other, it's just that they can't be seen to be agreeing with each other, which is, it's anomalous in itself. It's just kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. I, I think it will because, you know, everything finds its own level. Everything sort of ebbs and flows. Things swing left and right. I hope and, so. And it always finds a, a same level. Like I, I, I kind of disagree with what you guys were saying in the earlier about modern dog training. Like I believe that I'm a modern dog trainer. I don't prescribe to a... I'm not an old school compulsion dog trainer and I'm not a crazy force free only. I, I use the appropriate tool at the appropriate time and the appropriate quadrant of reinforcement or punishment as presented before me. And I think that's what modern dog training is. I think that the average person, if we want to break into different categories, as we discussed, I think that people who are modern dog trainers at the moment could fall into two categories of like knee popo and popo nay and then we could argue about that forever we can continue to break ourselves down into smaller and smaller segments if we wanted to but i think that modern dog training is the people who are using all of the good science that's available i think that they're and that's where we'll find the level and we'll have to go through some hardship i mean we were in the past overly compulsive and really even though this term is not accurate, but what people would describe as punishment-based and people who really prescribe to the dominance theory for training and telling you have to dominate your dog and all that kind of just nonsense, 
And then we've, we're headed towards too far the other way where it's like, oh, no, it's just rainbows and fairy farts and you should just love and kiss your dog into being the perfect dog. And that's just going to lead to people getting hurt. So, unfortunately, it is going to come back to the center. It eventually has to. I, I believe mm -hmm. it has to, but there will be some difficult times along the way. Everything finds its own level. But, unfortunately, you have to go through some some hardship to get there. People have to be shown. It has to be, you know, bite statistics have to go through the roof. People have to be scared of their own dogs. Like it has, all that has to happen. And then the only fix is to swing back a little bit and we find our own level. And that happens. So. I, I hope so. I think that happens with everything. I think mm. that that's, you know, politics. This is why we have a left and a right party and they spend a term and then flicks back and forth because you know people not just to get political or anything but people have an idea of like this is the most important thing and for them it is but it it undoes other things that people know to be important which works for us as well and then those things go astray and then the thing that they thought was most important no longer becomes tenable as the most important so the other guys have to come in and fix the problems that they created and then create more problems that are geared for them and then the other guys have to come in and it just happens back and forth forever and it probably will happen forever i just think that it's interesting for us as a community now to be on the swing to the the crazy end of what we think is the crazy end as centralists of this right and like but i think both ends are crazy and both ends exist presently there'd be people that we could talk to that are still really truly believe in dominance theory as a training me methodology like, I'm not mm -hmm. to say I don't believe in dominance. We've spoken about that here on the show. Mm. Of course, I believe in dominance, but I just don't think it plays that big a role in training as we have thought in the past. Well, we only knew what we knew. Yeah, that's right. And and, and that's, but why, that's why I don't like, even though it's wordplay, that's why I don't like the word modern. I believe that being an educated trainer is a better coin of phrase. Modern training, people who call themselves modern trainers, uh, a lot of the community that we've been arguing about is that they're using that term to say, well, these old school people don't know what they're doing. I'm a modern trainer with purely positive methodologies. And yeah, so I haven't heard that. I haven't. No, I'm I have, not I've heard it. That. I've heard it being touted quite a lot. Yeah. What I hear regularly is the science-based dog training. Do you get yeah, that yeah, one in yeah, the yeah. UK mm -hmm. a fair bit? Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're science-based. And I, I understand what you're saying because it's it's almost like the word modern has been weaponized. But as I said before, so many words have been weaponized. Pressure. That's a nice force. Oh, that's a nice way it, of putting it, yeah. When we do that, when we start applying labels, it's like, actually, we don't need any labels. What do you do? I train dogs. How do you train the dog? I train the dog in the way that works best for that dog, the dog that's in front of me. Yeah. And the dog tells me. Do you not find that when you you get a dog in front of you that there's there's communication at a level that's not the way that we obviously as humans communicate, but there's communication on a whole different level. And when you start to tap into that, that's when you train the dog best because you give the dog what the dog needs. Mm. And it's not about modern or science-based or compulsion or force free or any of those words it's just i'm a dog trainer i train dogs mm -hmm. and i'm learning from the dog all the time yeah. you know it's it's a it's a it's a symbiotic relationship yeah i think the best way i've had to describe it is that i like to train i train dogs in order to get results but key measure of results is attitude in the dog and then that provides me everything I need to know about it. That, that provides me all the guidelines on how I'm going to train that dog. So long as the attitude of the dog when he's trained is happy and like is up, tail up, that's all I need. 
and mm-hmm. and that takes care of the ethics side for me because I don't need to then worry about what tools can I use, what level, what ratio of positive reinforcement to negative reinforcement to punishment to, to positive punishment to negative punishment. I don't need to worry about that as a whole. I only have to worry on the individual dog and he provides me the feedback as to that because mm. – are we seeing the results in the training? Can he do the things that I'm training him to do? Or is he stopping doing the things that I'm trying to stop him doing? And mm-hmm. what's his attitude like along the way? If he suddenly becomes a fearful, cowering mess, then I've fucked up. Or mm-hmm. if he's not actually doing the thing or stopping the thing that I am being employed to train, then I'm fucked up. Like it's it's as simple as that really. It's not. It doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. I, I remember I saw not too long ago, it got shared around. You'd remember, Glenn, there was someone's business Facebook page was saying, be careful anyone who tells you they can get results. Mm. <laughs> it's like, well, what are we doing here? If we're not trying to get results, what are we doing? I'm, you're not, I'm not coming over for tea and, and, and a biscuit. Like we're, yeah, we're coming over. results. Yeah. Oh, well, be careful of anyone that says they can get results because who knows how they'll get those results. It's better just to employ someone to come over and hang out with the dog and-, and Be best friends. Yeah, and, <laughs> and sort of just tell a story to you rather than actually provide it. And so long as, it, for me, it's the key metric. It, and we could talk about dog trainers. There's plenty of them that are providing great results. They get the result that the owner wanted and the attitude of the dog is shit and therefore they are shit. But if you're providing the results that the training is hidden there and the dog is happy, the, the attitude of the dog is good, then the training is good, no matter the technique, no matter what you're doing, no matter how you got there, dog will not lie about his attitude. If he looks good, he is good. That's my mm-hmm. rant. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like they say about planes, isn't it? If it looks right, it will fly right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So whereabouts in the UK are you based? Your, your business is Dutiful Dogs, right? It is, yeah. I'm based in Kent, Chislehurst in Kent. So I cover southeast London and most of Kent. And I'll, I'll sort of travel anywhere that's within 30, 40, 50 miles. Right. Um, and yeah, we just I just work one-to-one basis. And it's just the usual, you know, people just want a well-behaved dog that doesn't drag them down the street and jump on other dogs and Mm-hmm. hump granny's leg when she comes over for tea <laughs> and so it's just purely pet based stuff that you're doing at the moment no longer doing any protection stuff or you, you... It, it is sadly yeah well not sadly i mean i love what i do mm-hmm. but you know we had this conversation at the beginning of the of the, yeah. of the call that the working the working stuff is just that's where my heart is mm-hmm. if i could get when i get back into that that's where my that's where i'm utterly fulfilled yeah you know, and it's it's nice because you get the challenge with with the working dogs. Mm. Yeah, you get challenges working with pet dogs as well, resource guarders, and you know, aggression. And when it's the aggression is is different in different circumstances, that always tests you as a trainer. Mm. But it's yeah, it's it's not the same. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm just you know, like any of us who work with dogs, I just consider that every day that I get to work with dogs is a blessing. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Are you so you you definitely want to get back into the working dog side of things? Is, I absolutely do. Yeah. Is it that there isn't a community of that there? There's no no market for it, it or you it, just haven't broken it in yet? An, it's not that there's there's not the community. There is a community here. Um, when I came to the UK, my personal circumstances changed family health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I came back home, my mother had Alzheimer's, um, uh, right. and I lost her 
a couple of years ago and now I'm caring for my father. So right. I'm I'm kind of <laughs> I'm kind of tied up at the moment because I'm caring for him full time and I've got my own dogs and mm-hmm. I've got a business to run. So it's all a bit hectic. But you know, it's just you don't get sent anything that you can't deal with or anything more than you can deal with. So that's where I am right now. What type of dogs do you have at the moment, Nikki? I have two Borable Crosses. I have a Borable Cross English Mastiff, a Borable Cross Rottweiler who came with me from Kenya, a Japanese Spitz who was a rescue adoption from Kenya, and then I have a miniature Dachshund who is probably the hardest dog that I've ever trained. Oh, my God, excuse my language. What a little fucker. Um, I love him to bits. Uh, He was supposed to be a foster. He was the run to the litter. And he was just supposed to stay with me for a few weeks. And we're nearly two years on and he's still here. And I freaking adore him. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've got my what I call my packet of mixed nuts. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> one that was supposed to be a working dog. She was the, um, the vulnerable Rottweiler was Katana. She was the successor to my Dutch Shepherd. I right. lost him to hemangiosarcoma just before I, well, that was probably what prompted me to start thinking about coming to the UK. Right. And then obviously when we move back here, it's not likely that I'm going to get carjacked on my driveway. So it's like, <laughs> we don't need to, we don't need to continue with the PPD training on this one. It's just, you know, so she's kind of a pet dog with some quite serious drives, but she's fun. And then the, the big horrible English Mastiff I got as a companion for her. And they're just, they're just such a great team. And, and, you know, you know what Mastiffs are like, the English Mastiffs, they're just, it has sort of the pace of a it's, it moves at a glacial pace and it <laughs> yeah. just loves everybody all she wants to do is is cuddle um so yeah i've got this kind of odd little family going on and it's a huge change from my setup in kenya but who knows where i'm going to be in the next year two years i'm planning to go out to the states um in the next few months to study under um an american chap he's quite controversial he's one of these people you either love him or you hate him Mm -hmm. um gary wilkes you know the guy who invented yeah we know gary yeah with karen Pryor. um so i've been doing a lot of stuff with gary and so yeah i'm planning to go out and and do some work with him in a few months because i think he has a lot to teach if you're willing to listen but other than that yeah it's just pet dog training at the moment and just enjoying life in a in a secure environment nice and cold weather yeah. Well, <laughs> what I'd also like to, just before we sort of do a wrap up, is uh, we'd like to thank you very much for coming on the show and just to let you know that you're our first UK guest. Yeah. Oh, thank you. We've been speaking to, a lot to one side of the world, which is mainly on uh, the the Americas, but yeah, you're our first guest from the other side of the world. So thank you very much for yes. joining us on the show, Nick. You really appreciate it and uh, appreciate thank you, you putting it's been that an video out. pleasure. And so if people want to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, best way is to go through my website, which is www.dutifuldogs.com. And I've also got the Facebook page, which is Dutiful Dogs. So you can find me there. Um, awesome. Go easy on the insults. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Nikki, thanks very much for coming on. Uh, thanks again for producing that video. I think it was yeah. uh, something that a lot of people probably needed to hear. I think you definitely uh, reaffirmed for some people 
that they're on the right track. Uh, maybe made some people who are training dogs, you know, alone and don't have a community know that the pressure that they receive from others is not entire and that there's are, there are people who train like them out there. Mm, well um, said. So thank you for that. Pleasure. And yeah, people can get in contact with you via your website. Thanks. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you're hearing, please uh, like, rate, share, subscribe from whatever subscription service you download us through. Doing that helps us spread the word. Tell a friend as well. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is via Patreon. Jump on a Patreon. Check us out there. We are the Canine Paradigm there. Uh, three bucks a month gets you access to some educational content that we do through there. But of course, you can give as much as you like. And if you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is via Facebook. We are The Canine Paradigm on Facebook. Oh, actually, we have an email address now, don't we, Glenn? We do. We do. So what, what is it? Info, Info at thecanineparadigm.com. Yeah. And we'll both get that. We both see those emails. So that's probably actually a better way to get in contact with us than via Facebook. Send us an email to info at thecanineparadigm.com. We're very fancy now. We're actually very... Um, very modern. Yeah, modern. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sold on not liking that word. Anyway, that's it. Wrap it up. Glenn, music. Thank you. <laughs>